tonight is we'll look to finish Exodus 32. Yeah, that's fine, right there. And do something a little different is um, I appreciated those who, who came up and uh, oftentimes they'll offer comments and um, things that they've seen or questions, but I thought maybe that would be a good time, if time permits, maybe we'll just open it up for any of the brethren that have comments or questions about the passage, because really it's, it's something that could be examined further than just the two hours that we're given, 45 minutes each, maybe hour and a half, um, because it's something that is far reaching than just the story that we tell you know, kids or at, at Sunday school, this um, story in particular, this event is referenced many times and quotations from this, even the one that we went over in verse six, they sat, they rose up, uh, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So what we're in uh, Exodus 32, we're looking at the golden calf or the three-year-old heifer, something that was a symbol of power, of use, commerce, uh, way of life. And we stopped off at about, I think about 18, well, we'll, we'll pick up about 17. We'll try to go through verse by verse at least and pull out some highlights. And then I'd like to look at some application, which I was planning to do in the morning, but time did not permit. So where we're at, and, and uh, we'll just pick right back up. Um, we talked about Moses' interception, uh, intercession, but the variation between what was happening up in the mountain and what was happening below, right? There's Moses coming down. Bible is very um, detailed, saying that he's holding the tablets of God. This is God's work, and the writing on it is God's writing inscribed. But what was happening below, right, was a in our terms, was, a, was an orgy, right? It was something that the Bible terms it as, as play, but it's something of a, a central caressing nature. It was not something that you would invite your kids to go do. You know, this is not playing time like that. This is something that um, perhaps we would see at uh, today's nightclubs, right? This does continue today. Central behavior in the sense of, of, of just letting go and letting the flush take over, all stemming from the worship of a calf. Um, but in any ways, Moses is coming down with this in his hands. And if there's going to be any direction in the Christian's life, it's going to be come from God. It's going to be God's writing. It's going to be God's wisdom, not something that man can uh, make up. So Joshua says this. Joshua heard the people and as they shouted, right? So there must have been something going on. A party's going on below. It wasn't that they were being quiet. There's a sound of war in the camp. He thinks there's a battle going on, right? It must have been so loud. Um, now, I don't know about anything about music, but the sounds that were coming from the camp, he thought it was a battle. Uh, Moses says this. He said, it is not the sound of, of, tri uh, it's not the sound of, of triumph, nor does it the sound of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So Moses has his, maybe his hearing aid turned up or something, but he hears a little bit better, right? It's not defeat, it's not victory, it's singing, right? Is it getting closer? And what do they find? Well, we're going to look at three responses here. Uh, Moses' response to the situation, Aaron's response, the Levite's response, and God's response. 19, it says, And it came about as soon as Moses came near to the camp that he saw the calf, 
and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain, and he took the calf which they have made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and shattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. And so here's Moses coming down. And if you could imagine walking into such an event that was happening down there. I mean, we, we can't even imagine um, what he would have saw. Uh, it wasn't dark, right? It wasn't like a nightclub where you can't see what's going on. Moses saw everything. And how quickly it downward spiraled from Aaron making the calf. Of course, they wanted to make a god go before them, right? They were tired of waiting for Moses as he delayed from the mountain. They, the people ascribed to this thing that Aaron made. Well, this is the God that brought you out, right? They started sacrificing it. They christened it. This is our God. But Aaron desired, maybe we can make it a feast to the Lord, right? He tried to combine the two. Maybe good intentions, but look how far it got away, right? Dancing, central caressing. And so much so that it, it um, we'll find out what the penalty was. But Moses' anger burned. You know, Think about this when we talk about anger. You know, we get angry at a lot of things. Um, my father and I, we find sometimes it funny to look at uh, sports figures who would, out of frustration, now I've been one of them when I was younger. Lindsay knows about this. To my shame, you know, I got upset at him one time. But we get upset at certain things, and it's just so, it's so silly in the end, you know. But this particular... Uh, event actually it was one not too far I got to show him this one but a baseball player just took a bat and he was just pounding away at the at the uh, the phone that would call to the bullpen I mean you're just looking at this and you're like this is a joke but when it can't when it comes about this Moses's anger this is nothing like that right this is something that is a righteous anger the Lord Jesus when he came into the temple right he overturned tables this wasn't something that was out of, it wasn't uncalled for. So this is the type of anger when we think about this, uh, Moses' anger. And he shatters the tablets, God's work, at the foot of the mountain. Now, I, I thought about this for a little bit. Maybe some of the comments, if we get to that, we can hear from. I don't think that God intended him to do that, right? Because later when it comes back to it that Moses needs to go back up to the mountain, God tells him, you go cut the stones and then come up, right? So God tells him an extra step. You know, you go and cut them, you shattered them, and bring them back up. And nothing more is said about that. Of course, that's all speculation, but I, I don't think that's something God would have intended Moses to do. But in any case, it really pictures us of what was going on, right? They shattered God's law, right? They had nothing to do with it. They didn't want anything to do with it. Everything that God gave them, the first Ten Commandments we learned about two weeks ago, to love the Lord your God, have no other gods before him, and everything else they broke in one fell swoop, right? Very shortly after even getting it. So he shatters them at the mountain. He took the calf which they made and burned it with fire. Uh, excuse me. He burned it with fire and then ground it to powder. So there it is right there, you know, slamming that thing till it's nothing. I mean, if you could imagine. And, you know, one thing I, I thought about is Moses is doing this and scattering it across the the surface of the water made the sons of Israel drink it. You know, nobody even stood up to him, right? I mean, the fact is that they understood that this is such a weak argument to think that this thing is a god, right? But to understand that Moses was God's representative, right? He had uh, power and things like that concerning him that God gave him, but 
Moses comes in, grounds this thing to powder, to dust, and scatters it across the surface of the water and made him drink it. It's a sign of, of shame, right? And there they are, maybe on all fours or whatever it is. They're there drinking this water, this gold dust water. Shameful thing. And oftentimes in connection with idolatry, right, there is a lot of shame in the end, right? It's nothing that you're proud about. So that's Moses' response. Let's look at Aaron's. 21, then Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you brought great such, uh, that you brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn, for you know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, make us a God who will go before us, for this Moses who, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then he says, whoever has gold, let them tear it off. And so they gave it to me. And so let's just stop there for right now. So up in this point, Aaron's rehearsing everything that exactly happened, right? He's saying, you know, and, and, and Moses no, undoubtedly knew that this was not Aaron's plan, right? This was not Aaron's um, something of his own hatching, right? Here's the people. Aaron, it says when Moses went back up to the mountain, remember he came down to, well, he went up to get the commandments, right, to listen to them. He came back down. The elders of Israel, there's the dining with God. There's 70 elders and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and then he's called back up, right? Joshua is somewhere in the middle, maybe at the foot, somewhere where he's waiting for Moses to come back. Aaron and her are with you, it says. So anything that they had, they went to the high priest, right? He wasn't, um, I don't think he was acting the high priest then, but he was the representative, right? He was Moses' right-hand man. And so when there's a situation coming such as this, you know, wouldn't you want your representative to point you in the right way? Well, actually, Aaron encouraged it, right? He said, give me the gold. Give me your rings. Let me burn it and, sh and shape it into something. But Aaron's response is this. He says, so they gave it to me. That's their gold rings and earrings. And I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Now, I don't use this term a lot because it's kind of, a, I guess, a term that was or a word that's, maybe beyond my age that was, they use it, but it's cockamamie, right? That's what I thought about when I heard this excuse. It's exactly what it is. And, you know, that, I, that some way that I threw this stuff in and out came this beautiful shaped calf that I was proud about just a few verses ago, but now I'm giving an excuse. Of course, that's not true, right? But there's lessons to learn here before we get hard on Aaron, right? We tend to make excuses for our idolatry in our own lives, no? Well, you know, it's not too bad. Or, you know, nobody, uh, it's not bothering anything. I can handle it. I've said that before. I, I can handle it. I'm not going to go this far, but I'll do just this much. You know, any idolatry will spiral downwards, right? The more you progress into it, the more you give your time and attention to it. You know, Aaron shaped that thing with a purpose in mind. It wasn't that it just came out, right? He knew exactly what he was doing, but he didn't confess it in this point, but he threw it in the fire and out came this calf. You know, in contrast to that, you know, where Aaron failed in many ways and all those priests that would come after him, right? They were supposed to be the representative of the people to God. They were to bear, it says, the various things that he wore, right, they, they symbolized something. They just weren't nice garments. 
he bore the Israel on himself as he went to represent God, right? With the stones and the things on his shoulder. Holiness to the Lord, the mitre that he would wear. You know, he was supposed to be the representative of the people to God. And he would make atonement for them. You know, it says of the Lord Jesus, and we mentioned this, that he's our great high priest. Right? But you won't find this description about him quite different. What you read in Hebrews about the Lord Jesus is that he's a high priest who's separate from sinners. It says this in Hebrews 7. It says, For it is fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and for the sins of the people, because he did this once for all. He offered up himself. And so a list of qualifications, as it were, for a high priest that only the office could be filled by the Lord Jesus, right? Holy, separate, undefiled, one who is in the power of an indestructible life, something that was not given to him. He always had it, right? It wasn't created for him. He is divine. And so when we come to this high priest, when we have these kind of questions, or maybe we have, we're going in some direction of idolatry, he won't encourage it, right? He'll bring us back. He'll point us in the right direction. He'll show us the mind of God. And so we praise the Lord for such a high priest as that who won't fail, right? He won't fail like human priests did in this time, but he will remain faithful. He will perform his, his job that he has or his uh, role to 100%. And one of the things that I was talking to one of the sisters is we were fascinated as we talked about uh, how Moses was up in the mountain pleading for these people. He was pleading for their own well-being, right? God wanted to destroy him. And there's somebody pleading on their behalf. And I think about us as Christians, right? The Lord Jesus is far more invested and concerned about your Christian life than I am or than you are of yourself, right? There he is interceding on our behalf when things go wrong or when we make bad decisions, right? He's pleading on our, on our behalf, and he's far more committed to our Christian life than we are. And praise the Lord for that, right? Because we are weak. We tend to give in to the flesh. We tend to follow after idols because they're very appealing. The Bible describes sin as, it, as passing pleasures, right? There's something to it. It's just not nasty or yucky to look at, right? It makes you feel like that after. But um, it's something about it that appeals to the flesh. But praise the Lord that we have someone who's in heaven itself, that's far committed to the Christian life, your Christian life and my Christian life, and for you to do well than me or yourself. So that's Aaron's response. Let's look at the Levites. Now, this is very significant, especially when it comes to Israel's history. If you remember, they, they rejected, we mentioned this earlier, that they threw off the design that God wanted them as a nation of priests, but they didn't want it, right? They said, Moses, you go up there. We don't want to hear the voice of the Lord anymore. And that was, of course, all in God's design anyways, right? Because eventually there would be one who would be a king and a priest that would go before us. But in any case, 25 says this, And when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control or be a derision among their enemies. I mentioned this briefly in the morning. But, you know, while they're here, this is not their land. They're in the wilderness, right? There's other people around. There's the Amalekites we read about uh, a few chapters over. There's just various tribes. There's unbelievers amongst them. 
And here they are acting like this. The word derision, it means that they're becoming a mockery, right? And if they're supposed to be one that are set apart to God, right? God called them to himself, and here they are acting like this, a derision among their enemies. You know, quite different message that they would want to be telling, and quite a different message as believers we would, we, we would want to be telling those in our workplace, right? Can you imagine what destructive of nature it would be for a Christian to be acting like this, right? In a workplace, in a school, in their family, right? Showing your kids this. I mean, very dangerous, right? Don't be, take it as a lesson, a derision. That's what life lived out, especially when it comes to following after idols, derision among their enemies. So Moses sees this, and then he stood in the gate of the camp, right? He removes himself outside of the camp outside of the, uh, at the gate, actually, of where they're at. And he says this forceful statement. It says, mine reads, for whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And mine actually has come in italic. So it's not in the original, but it's to help us understand. But he says, who's for the Lord? To me. I mean, it's a forceful statement. He's shouting out, who's to the Lord? Who's for the Lord? Come to me, because everybody, when he looks around, he sees this derision, and he's just, you know, taken back from this, what's going on. Who, who is for the Lord anymore? Come to me. You know, and if you're going to live the Christian life, and you're going to desire to live godly, right, you're going to suffer persecution. The Bible guarantees that. If you're going to speak about the name, speak up about the name of the Lord Jesus, it's easier to stay quiet, right? It's easier not to say anything. But if you're, for, if you're going to stand up for the Lord, right, there's going to be a separation, right? You're going to have to separate yourself from a lot of things. And this particular group of people who got up, it's the sons of Levi. Moses was a Levite. And it says all the sons of Levi gathered to him. And really, this is a defining moment for them, right? Um, there were many that were good throughout Israel's history, many that were bad, but this defined them, right? This defining moment made them, God chose them to be the priests, right? The priest cast of that nation. God was going to use the firstborn, right? But um, he ended up using this entire tribe. They weren't given any land inheritance when it came into the, the uh, promised land. They were actually given their inheritance was the Lord himself. What an inheritance, right? So all the sons of Levi gathered up to him, right? They made a stand. Maybe they were participating in it. Who knows? We don't know. It very well could be. But they saw that this was wrong, and they chose the Lord, right? And so praise the Lord that there is forgiveness and there's restoration for those who fall. 27, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you, he's talking to the Levites, put on your sword, honest thigh, and go back and forth from the gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, instructed and, there, uh, and about 3,000 men fell that day. And Moses says, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he might bestow a blessing upon you today. And so Moses tells his... Uh, tells his kinsmen, these was um, some of his brothers, right? He was a son of Levi. He tells them, put on your swords, right? Well, he's not going to tell them to put on the swords just to look at it and shine it around, right? You're going to go out there and kill people. 
right? Could you imagine? But what, what discretion it doesn't say. Maybe they were sent out to kill the ringleaders. Maybe they were sent out to kill the biggest offenders. I don't know what it was, but it says 3,000 men died this day. And these were people that maybe they had a tent right next to, right? It doesn't say. But oftentimes as you're going through this journey, right, there's people dying everywhere because of the choices that they made, sin. Take it very seriously, right? So is um, Levi, and this is not something that Moses concocted, right? This is something that the Lord instructed Moses to do, right? He says, thus says the Lord in 27. So um, Moses says this, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son, against his brother, in order that he might bestow a blessing upon you. And as we said, sometimes, oftentimes, when it comes to, well, all the time, when it comes to serving the Lord, there might not be your loved ones standing with you at some point, right? Brothers and sisters, sons and, and daughters might not be there with you. They might be pulling you back, actually, right? But who are you going to follow, right? Who are you going to put above God? Remember, family could be one of those, right? They can be, become an idol. They can be something that you place in front of God or pull down. You pull God out of your life in that sense and put them above that, right? Every man, you have been against your brother and your sons. But it says this, in order that he might bestow a blessing upon you today. And so they carried out something that was God-directed. And God truly did bless them. He gave them himself as their inheritance. He gave them a special place, right? What better occupation for them to be doing in the wilderness instead of just, you know, sitting around, but to be in the tabernacle, right? Being close proximity with God, working with him, working in his dwelling. The Levites were given this task. The high priest task was given to Aaron in his line, but the Levites were there uh, to assist him. They were given to Aaron to assist in the tabernacle. And this was something that only they had, right? This is not any... Uh, son of Judah or Benjamin. This was only for the Levites. And then let's look at God's response to this. It says, And it came about on the next day, Moses uh, said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses tells them, Man, you, you, you guys messed up. And this is where things start to differ between us, the Christian today, and what was going on. He says, perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. You know, this is not something when we come to Lord Jesus, perhaps he's going to forgive us, right? He does, right? He's given us that promise that, that sin, not just the, the covering of sin, but the conscience is cleared because of the blood of Jesus Christ if you come by faith, right? Atonement is made fully to the utmost through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. But he says, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So he goes back up. He's going up to intercede for them again in 31. Interceded them for them when they messed up. But now they got to keep going, right? God, he, he thinks in the few uh, next chapter over, he's, he's begging God, please come with us. We can't go anywhere if you're not with us, right? God said he would destroy them if they're in their midst, right? So there's Moses going up to plead with the Lord to continue the journey with them. 31, Moses returned to the Lord and says, Alas, the people have committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. But now if thou wilt forgive their sin, if not, please blot me out of the book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I have told you. Behold, my angel will go before you, nevertheless, 
In the day that I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf that Aaron made. And so we talked a little bit about this in the morning, that God is keeping accurate records, right? Um, You know, a person that decides to take matters in his own hands and, and carry out some wicked desire and in the end take his own life, and it seems like there was no justice given to him, right? Or maybe somebody does commit some crime and it seems like they get off. Well, that's not the case, right? In the end, they might take their life, right, and might not face human justice, but in the end, they will face God's justice, right? God, it says here, uh, he's talking about book, right? There's a book here that he's going to blot out those who have sinned. He will blot them out. And then he, it seems like, it appears that he punished them a little bit more for what they did. There's something extra. And so God smote them uh, because of the, uh, the calf which Aaron had made. And so that's our story. But I'd like to look at just a few points. Um, we still have some time here. Um, some of the applications. And if you look at um, this story is told, retold, at least maybe a verse here, a verse there, or referred in different places, and it's very interesting. I think we can find some application about idolatry and some uh, characteristics about it because of this story. One of the first ones, they're all D. Deuteronomy 9, uh, 11. This is the entire uh, story actually retold. This Deuteronomy, of course, means the second giving of the law. But Moses retells this story to them. And in this story, he told them that you know, rise in verse, uh, we'll read verse 12. And the Lord said to me, go, rise, go down quickly, for the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted corruptly and have turned aside from the way which I commanded them and made a molten image for themselves. And so idolatry, one of the first things we learned about it is very destructive to yourself, right? They've acted corruptly. Not only have they offended God, right, but it's something that was destructive in their own life. Right, the actions that they did, right? There doesn't it does it's not recorded, but you know what about their families? What about the families they've wrecked because of that se- sexual play that they were doing? It doesn't even record that. But idolatry can lead to and is destructive nature, a destructive play, right, in a person's life. It is destructive in its very nature. Excuse me, when I tried to say idolatry, very destructive. Second thing we want to look at is in Psalms. Psalms 106. Look at two verses, actually, in this one. It says in 19, For they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image, thus exchanging their glory for, that, for an image of an ox that eats grass. Can you imagine? There you have the God of the universe and exchanging it for an ox that eats grass, something that's been created, something that's even below a human being. But that's what idolatry is, right? In the, in, the, in the time that you're maybe worshiping or following after idols, you don't see it. But if you take a step back, right, that's what it is. Exchanging the image of God, right? It's degrading yourself. This, exchanging the, that glory for the image of an ox, it says here. But also in this chapter, very interesting, we mentioned this, but it says this in 30, uh, 23, therefore he this is God, said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him and turned away his wrath from destroying them. 
What a picture of the Lord Jesus, right? There they are, out of control, derision, at the bottom of the mountain. God, he's getting, Moses is getting the, the law and God's command at the top. God obviously sees it. Who's in between them? Who's going to curb God's wrath? Well, it needs to be somebody. It says Moses stood in the breach. A breach is a, is a gap. There was a gap. There was sin in the camp, right? God can't look on it. There was definitely a problem. If not, somebody would come and intercede for them. They would have been wiped out. Right? What a picture of the Lord Jesus in that sense that he's the one that stood in the breach for us. Right? He took upon himself the wrath of God. And in return, those who have placed their faith in him receive his righteousness. So idolatry is very degrading to yourself. Idolatry, and this is, I think, all of us can relate to if something that you find out that's an idol in your life, it's often duplicated in the sense that you end up revisiting it later. Look at Kings 11. The kingdom is split of Israel. This is hundreds of years later. The kingdom of Israel is split, right? Solomon en ends up chasing after idols. Interesting theme throughout their history, but the kingdom is split in half. Well, the kingdom in the north, which was ruled by Jeroboam, he decides, well, you know, this, the temple, what they're supposed to be worshiping in God, well, he's in Jerusalem. Well, you know, I, I kind of fear that even though God is the one that set me up as king, I, I'm going to turn the people a different direction. Now, he said, you know, he didn't, want, he didn't want to lose the people. He took matters in his own hands. So what he ends up doing is he sets up his own religion. Well, what does he, what does he, um, what does he introduce? Well, in verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, excuse me, it says this in... We look at 28, consulted, so the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to him, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem, and behold, and behold your gods, O Israel, for they brought you up from the land of Egypt. The same exact verbiage as what, what happened in Exodus 32, Jeroboam repeats, right? If they didn't learn their lesson the first time, maybe they'll have to learn it again the second time, right? Because of this act, it's, it's quite interesting, right? It's almost full circle. Because of this act, this nation, well, the northern kingdom, right, is wiped out because of this, because of Jeroboam's sin. And it's repeated, 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 repeated. Nobody, even the one king that was mm, semi-decent, right, in Jehu, he still went after those two golden calves, right? He is, they ascribed to these things that they've made the acts that God did, and they worshipped it. But that's not all, right? They ended up spiraling out of control and offering up their sons and human sacrifice. It was awful. But it all came from idolatry, a small little idolatry. Duplicated. It's often a doorway, right? I mentioned it just a second ago. It's a doorway. You heard of doorway drugs, right? You start off something small and it, and it grows out of control and you start doing things that are really, really heinous. But here it is. It's a doorway into something. They weren't doing this at first. Second Kings 17. From the worship of the golden calf, uh, the two calves that he made. It says this at the end in verse 16, 2 Kings 17, 16. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord and made for themselves molten images, even the two calves, and made Asherah and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. So what happened? They started with two golden calves and it ended up spiraling out of control. They took everything, right? The golden calves maybe didn't do it for them anymore. Well, now we need Asherah. Now we need Baal. Well, now we need to start sacrificing our children to appease the gods. I mean, idolatry is a downward spiral, right? 
Sin will take you farther than you want to go, right, if you continue down the path. It's a doorway into further and further greater sin. 2 Kings 17, 16. Nehemiah talks about this very same thing. We'll look at one in the New Testament soon. This is um, now in the history, in the book, in your book, it's actually the other direction from Kings, but chronologically, this is after. This is after the whole nation is, is took, taken out into captivity, but here they are coming back into the land, but Nehemiah confesses it, their sin, in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 18, it says, And they made for themselves a calf of molten metal, and said, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And they committed great blasphemies. Mine says great blasphemies, but that literally means act of contempt. Have you ever heard the term contempt of court? Right? They, they thought themselves ben, below, or they thought themselves above that, right? Above worship to God. They thought what God was, ah, that's beneath me. I don't need to follow that. You know, I'm going to make up my own God. I'm going to worship, a, it says here, a calf of molten metal. I'll exchange my glory for that of an of a, of a ox that eats grass, right? It's degrading to yourself, right? Acts of contempt, ugly in the sight of God. Two more. Acts 7. This is um, where Stephen is before the governing body of that time, the Sanhedrin and Pharisees, high priests, and things like that. But he goes through their history, right? And he says this in 38, talking about Moses in this very story. This one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on the mount, who with our fathers, he received the living oracles passed on to you. Their fathers were unwilling and unwilling to be obedient to him, but it repudiated him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt saying that Aaron, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us for this Moses who led us out of the ant, a land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him, right? And so, and at that time they made a calf and brought sacrifice to it and the rejoicing in the works of the hands and God turned away, verse 42, and delivered them up to the host of heaven. And as it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not me that you offered up victims and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness was it, O Israel. So because of this choice that they made, right, they not only did they, you know, reject God, right, they wanted a face of their God, right, they wanted something tangible, but they actually rejected Moses too, right? He's talking about something else later down their history, right? They rejected Moses. But he, God, what he, what he ends up doing, he delivers them over, right? God's the one bearing, uh, he's a barrier oftentimes, right? He pulls us back from continuing doing sin. He often rescues us when we don't even know we needed it, right? We might be in a situation that it can only turn out bad, but God pulls us out, right? But sometimes if we persistent, God says he delivered them up, right? To serve the host of heaven. You want it? Have at it. He gave them over to it. It was to their de demise, right? To their destruction, the host of heaven, Right? When we talk about the hosts of heaven, the stars, right? You heard of 
the astrological things and, you know, the signs and whatever else, you know, all that nonsense. Well, it existed a long time ago, right? This is not palm reading today. This is something that was a while ago. Oh, that was it. So um, some application from idolatry, right? We can find out that it's very destructive to your own life, right? And it also um, is degrading to your own self when you're following after idols, but it also can open you up to further and further greater and grievous sins, right? If you're following after idols, it might even be something that you thought was good in the beginning, but ends up being something uh, terrible for you. And ultimately, if you continue to persist in sin, as God did with these people, right? He delivered them up to serve the hosts of heaven and turned away from them. That's what it says here in 42. Uh, we're right on time, so... <laughs> Uh, we'll forego then the, the comments and questions maybe until after the meeting. Um, but I hope you will come back in your own study and look at this because it's not just, as we said, a story for to retelling and, and it's nice to put up pictures because we can draw you know, a calf and things like that. But this is real people in a real time, right? These are people that made choices. And if they were put up Brian's life, maybe it would be something different than a golden calf, right? But oftentimes we find ourselves in these situations, right? They were written for our learning, we learned about. And oftentimes God, while Moses was up there and he delayed, there was a purpose in mind, right? God was, and it says in, 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 in Deuteronomy 8, it says that he let you go hungry. You know, even though he was raining manna, there were times that he let them go hungry to learn what lesson that man doesn't live by bread alone. Right, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so there might be a time where you're in right now where you want to take matters in your own hands in your life, right? Maybe something you're not seeing, some uh, place that you need to be. I don't know, right? I don't know everybody's life and where they're exactly at, but wait on the Lord, right? Don't take matters in your own hands. Don't turn to idols or turn to your own methods, but wait on the Lord. Take the example. Take these stories that we read in Exodus and the rest of the Bible to heart. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. Once again, let's look into your word. And we just pray, Lord, that we would uh, learn from these things, Lord. Oftentimes we do fall back into them. We just thank you for our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. But we pray, Lord, that you help us with these things. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.